Welcome to ScrubCast, where we explore clinical, translational, and health services research from Stanford University's Department of Surgery through conversations with the authors. I'm Rachel Baker. Today, we're discussing a paper published in JAMA Network Open titled Association of Expanded Healthcare Networks with Utilization Among Veterans Affairs Enrollees. I'm joined by two of the authors, Drs. Liam Rose and Todd Wagner. Dr. Rose is a health economist who works at the VA Palo Alto's Health Economics Resource Center and our own Aspire Center. Dr. Wagner directs the Health Economics Resource Center at the Palo Alto VA and is a professor at Aspire. Thank you both for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, really happy to be here. Thanks, Rachel. How did you get interested in studying this? It's actually a really big issue in VA right now. Um, I think the core of it is that VA has to try and cover the entire country and outside of the country as well for a lot of people. And that's a really difficult thing to do just logistically. So mm-hmm. they trying to balance between how much care they can provide and how much they have to purchase through what they call community care can be a difficult challenge. And they've really gone more towards purchasing more care recently and them trying to find the right balance has been difficult. So uh, I think it's a hot topic for them. And so getting to look into it, it's fun and important, I think. And there were two major of legislation did, although in slightly different ways, was define eligibility by sort of these arbitrary cutoffs, um, whether it's drive time or distance. Um, And that's really what we exploit here is to understand these, how do these people on either side of these arbitrary cutoffs fare Interesting. So let's dive deeper into that. And can you tell me a bit about how you designed your study? How did you decide which patients you would include and the time frame, things like that? I think people who are trained like me in, um, in applied microeconomics and also a lot of people who are interested in this kind of causal inference type of um, work, we're always hunting for these arbitrary rules. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know, we love arbitrary hard and fast rules where you say, if you have this much, then you get it. If, if you don't, then you're, you're out of luck. In this case, the arbitrary rule that we were looking at is if you're 40 or more miles away from a VA, then you're mm-hmm. automatically eligible for VA to buy care for you and get it in a community from a community provider rather than at VA. And, um, you know, 40 is very arbitrary. 40 miles, yeah. it's pretty far from a VA, but, you know, there's no reason it couldn't be 35 or 45. So those people that are 39 miles away are kind of out of luck. And the people are 41 miles away, very similar in general, mm-hmm. they get the thing. So then we can say like, okay, let's look at people that are close to this number that they that Congress pulled out of thin air. And we can compare them without, you know, having to do a big RCT or something like that. You also uh, have several other authors on your team from Aspire, but also someone from UC Irvine, I see. How did you find the right people for this project? <laughs> Actually, Marion is, uh, Marion Awad is a, she's an assistant professor of economics at UC Irvine now, but previously she was a postdoc uh, with us at Stanford and Aspire. So we ah. conceived of this project when um, I think everyone on the project was aspire in some way or another we have these team work meeting working meetings every monday where we talk about data and new ideas 
And this just became one of the topics that people became interested in. We kept talking about it and pushing it on and wrote a grant proposal to study it. We were lucky enough to get the grant proposal funded. Um, Liam had a, a major role in that. And now we're conducting that study. And I, I will add that we, um, we presented it at several stages at Aspire. So, you know, if there's anyone that's listening to this and wants to talk to Aspire people at any point, they should, because we talked it, about it when it was an idea. Um, we talked about it after it was funded and, you know, also our informal conversations among people who are at Aspire also helped. Awesome. Well, so this was all done during COVID, I think. Was it difficult communicating when you weren't all in the same place? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I would say we've managed. Um, <laughs> we we have, uh, like you said, we have, Todd mentioned we have regular meetings, we have Slack, we do all those, all the techie stuff to keep our team connected. I would say that we're also pretty lucky in that I think on the team, I'm one of the few of the people that have kids, but my kids are older and <laughs> self-sufficient. Um, so I feel very lucky that you know, the pandemic didn't put a, a huge crimp in uh, my ability to do work during the day. So we were able to be asynchronous or have Zoom meetings and just keep this going. Elizabeth has, uh, did have a... <laughs> she did. That's correct. Yeah. I should mention while I'm bringing her up, Elizabeth Gellert, who is our project manager for the project, who's been very, was very, very helpful because this project used a ton of data and that requires a lot of help coordinating all of that. Yeah, she wasn't listed as a co-author, but she did just as much as anyone else on this project. Oh, that's awesome. I've never heard of that position before. What does a project manager do? Just keeps everyone in line, make sure you're on task. Yeah, I, I guess uh, this equivalent of social science researcher for a department of surgery or department of medicine. Well, so let's talk about your results here. What did you find out after looking at these mountains of data? Yeah, great. Um, so um, we did find that giving people this additional access increased their utilization somewhat, not a, uh, not a lot, like three to four percent, which is enough to, you know, make a huge amount of money uh, for a VA budget, but maybe not a huge amount on an individual patient level basis. But it matters if you're trying to think about policy, like, hey, do we want to extend this policy to everyone? Well, then we have to factor in like they're going to use three or four percent more. And that, that matters for, you know, how many people we hire and how many specialties we have, where we have facilities. So those kind of questions. And I think it's especially relevant because, as Todd mentioned, there were two policies. This this act, the Choice Act, was kind of the baby policy. And then the Mission Act was the big policy that made it even more, more so. And so. I think the reason that this paper received so much attention is that now VA is having to deal with these issues um, where they're seeing they're having to pay a lot more um, for community care. And that is something that they have to think about when, um, for example, uh, you know, how many surgeons do they have to employ and in which specialties? Because, you know, they have to really think about where are we going to expend our resources? So when legislators in Congress originally started coming up with this legislation, the real idea was to improve access. There was fears that veterans were having problems accessing care. Mm -hmm. So although we show, as Liam described, this increase in utilization, one of the things we're working now to understand is where were these people accessing care prior to the legislation? So there's this 
sort of counterfactual what we don't know is were they getting no care in which case Uh this really could be a real benefit to them or Mm -hmm. were they just accessing care through other insurance mechanisms um, Mm -hmm. other programs that we're not seeing because when you look at VA data you're just looking for the most part at at VA data we pulled in some Medicare data but we're missing large chunks of data and so we're still trying to figure out exactly what was their use of care prior to this program that seems hard going back and trying to figure out exactly what these people were doing beforehand is like, do you just go and knock on doors? <laughs> yeah. I mean, ideally if I had an infinite budget, I would do it, run a lot of surveys. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately we don't. So um, what we're doing right now is looking at something similar. Again, this is a lot of Elizabeth's work where we are, not just looking at VA and Medicare data, but we've contacted states where we are asking them to share their data with us, where they states have, they have data on all kinds of care, regardless of the payer. There are some restrictions, like they don't have certain outpatient visits. It's mostly inpatient, but that does give us a sense. And we can say like, okay, let's go back and say, if this person was somehow drawn into the VA um, network, or if they were just not getting it before. Gotcha. Yeah, interesting. And so do you think this information will inform policy as you know you move forward it for the VA and you know for other public health? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, to be a bit honest, like you know some some things are are political. And that's a little bit beyond my pay grade for now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, there's, there's that aspect, but I do think that like, yes, it, it matters. This is a paper that's very much non-clinical. It's very policy oriented. So if anywhere it has an impact, this is something that VA will need to think about. And, you know, maybe this adds to the conversation about what it's going to do in the next five to 10 years. One of the things that I like about working for the VA is that it takes evidence to heart when it's making decisions to the best that it can, as Liam mm-hmm. pointed out, but it's also political and can't always. But I like to think that it could use this data to, to inform its future policies. I, sh- I should note that there's a, although we focus mostly on VA, and Liam can speak more to this, outside of VA, there's this, also this debate similarly going on about mm-hmm. narrow networks or broad networks. So you yeah. join your employer-based healthcare insurance in California, some people choose a very narrow network, and let's just say they join Kaiser. You're restricted to use Kaiser providers, but if you join another health plan, you have what's known as in-network and out-of-network providers. Mm-hmm. And there's been a debate about how tight can those networks be and how restrictive or how open they should they be. And so there's a tension there between making them quite narrow, which case you can control access and cost and maintain it, versus make them very broad, in which case you have much less control. Yeah, there's definitely been other people in our center that have been looking at this both through Medicaid, which is another one that oftentimes has narrow networks for different reasons, but yeah. Mm-hmm. You received the Veterans Affairs Health Services R&D Paper of the Year Award for this publication. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. What tips do you have for writing an award-winning paper? Well, I think, as Todd mentioned, VA 
does care about research and evidence-based practices. I think we got we got a bit lucky, I think, because it was just becoming a very hot button issue. And so it was perfect timing. We were kind of the first to look at this in a very comprehensive way with many different data sources that are kind of hard to wrangle together. So get, being first is very helpful. <laughs> um, but also looking at things that are very uh, policy relevant was also very helpful. And then I guess the other thing is sometimes these projects are hard and just not being a, being afraid of working at it for a long time, even if it won't be, you know, it won't get you a, a couple publications back to back to back, but it will get you the answers to the questions that you think are, are really important. For instance, for us, it was a, a lot of work because we had to combine VA records with records from these non-VA providers, and they don't really mesh that well together. They use different electronic medical records, all that stuff. So tunnel work there. At the end of the day, people just care how much utilization is going on rather than how much data work you did. So not being afraid of that and eventually getting it done, I think uh, really helps. So I'll, I'll add a slightly different take, Rachel, which is mm. for me, and I've been in, after getting my PhD 22 years ago, it's all about putting the best teams together. And this mm. is just a great team been a fun team to work with. We have a great set of advisors on the grants. And so I think Liam is downplaying his role, uh, but Marion was great too. So it was just a really great interdisciplinary team. Awesome. That's really nice to hear. Well, so uh, this award came with some funding. Uh, what do you plan on doing with it? What's next on the horizon for you? <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, I think our team, which Todd mentioned, is doing quite well for research funding at the moment. <laughs> so we, I don't think we've decided. That's a great place to be. It is a great place to be. I think the answer would be that we're, we'll keep a little bit just in case because some of the, as I mentioned, we're going after these state data sets. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need to pay the states for the data for either their work with collating it or um, just as they have fees. So those costs. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Uh, um, similar to, I suppose, uh, you know, the PHS has a bunch of data sets that they pay for, similar to that idea. I hadn't even thought about having to pay for the data. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. And what about you, Todd? <laughs> like Liam said, we're, we're doing pretty well and we can't use the money for things like dinner or supplies. <laughs> so it really is just a matter of reinvesting in the research. And if there's a way that we can reinvest in people, I would probably do that if we can. Awesome. Well, we're just about at time. Is there anything you wanted to add about this paper or the research that you're planning to do? We have a lot more coming out. Um, we have a paper under review looking at the similar effect on surgery. So hopefully that will be seeing press soon. But we're continuing to work on this topic. It's been great fun. Fantastic. I look forward to reading it. Thank you both for joining me today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great, Rachel. Thank you so much for having us. And to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We want to hear what you think of Scrubcast. You can email us at scrubcast at stanford.edu or hit us up on Twitter at Stanford Surgery. If you like Scrubcast, please share it with your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like us, smash that five-star review. Scrubcast is a production of Stanford University's Department of Surgery. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Baker. The music is by Midnight Rounds. And our chair is Dr. Mary Hahn.